morning. We are so incredibly glad that you are here with us this morning. If you are a visitor or a guest, welcome. Uh, it is our honor to have you here with us today. We are finishing up a series uh, that we have been going through in Philippians, looking at humility. And so we are going to be uh, finishing that up today, like I said, by looking at um, God's provision um, and just finding confidence in the Lord through our humility and recognizing that we aren't really in control, right? And so we're going to be in Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 10 through 20. Uh, it's a pretty healthy chunk. I'm going to go ahead and read through that, and then uh, we'll kind of break it down verse by verse-ish like we have been doing. So starting in verse 10 in chapter 4, it'll be up on the screen if you'd like to follow along, or you can follow along on your phone, Bible, whatever you've got there. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. To have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet... It was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I, sent, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. So Paul starts his, his final chunk of scripture in the verse of Philippians. This really ends the book of Philippians. There's one final greeting that's a couple sentences long that's just like, hey, continue to be awesome, love the Lord, that type of thing. But this is the last real chunk of, of instruction that he's giving to them in his conclusion. And he begins this chapter by expressing joy for the believers of Philippi, right? The Philippians. Not because they had sent him a care package, which is what they had done, but because they put into practice uh, his words and also followed Christ's example by heeding the words written in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, which we covered, which say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of of others, right? And the Philippians were following that, that teaching, but Paul teaches us something here that we're going to cover later on in the chapter as well, and it's that humility allows us to show appreciation and love for others, right? Humility allows us to show appreciation and love for others. A lack of humility sometimes causes us to scoff at what others have done, right? They gave good, but maybe we're a little bit cynical about it and we're trying to look for their ulterior means or motivations. Sure, they did a good thing, but they really only did it for this and that, right? And Paul could have looked at it that way. He could have said, oh, you're just sending me a care package to try to get in God's good graces or to win brownie points or all those things. But what he did was take the time to really show appreciation and love for others who showed appreciation and love for him. 
What's important here is that Paul didn't have to beg for their help, right? He received this care package in the midst of writing this letter. He didn't have to beg for their help. He just laid a need at their feet. They knew of his circumstances, his imprisonment, and he trusted that God would move and the people met his need, which is how it should work when God's people are involved. When we see a need and we can meet a need, we should meet that need. If we can help, we do help, right? And then Paul hits us with a chunk of verses in 11 through 13, which is like another knockout punch. It's one of those short little bursts of scripture that when you read it, man, it's heavy, it's powerful, it just is life-changing. It starts in verse 11 where it says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Think about that. A little bit of background. Paul's saying, it's not that I'm in need. Well, that's not exactly true. You see, Paul was imprisoned, and Roman prisons were not nice places to be, especially if you weren't a Roman citizen. Now, luckily for Paul, he was a Roman citizen, so he was given uh, an extra benefit of being guaranteed a food allowance, right? So basically, it was like, hey, if you have food in your commissary, you'll get food. But the prison didn't provide the food. The prisoners relied on other people to provide the food for them. And all they were guaranteed that is if somebody else has brought food to the prison for you, we'll give you that food. And so Paul is is in prison starving. He hasn't eaten. And it's not until he receives this package, this gift from Ephroditus from the Philippians, that he actually gets to eat, that he actually gets to sustain his body with the nutrients that he needs. So how can he sit here and say, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have in plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, well-fed or hungry. And don't get it wrong, I'm hungry now, but I have been well-fed because of what you have provided for me. And I am thankful for that. But I am confident that this took place because God has provided It doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. God will provide. He has provided. Here's what I need you to understand. Paul had needs. What he had lost was his anxieties. I want you to hear that, and I want you to hold on to it. Paul had needs. What he had lost was his anxieties. And if that doesn't knock you off your feet, you need to stand up and let yourself get pushed over. (laughs) Paul had learned what it meant to be happy and okay in any and every situation. In his humility, he realized that all things were out of his control, but completely sold out to Christ and to the gospel of his love, he learned to be okay no matter what. He learned to be okay no matter what. See, anxiety says, what am I going to do about this situation? But faith says, I know God is working in this situation. 
And not just that God is working in this situation, but God already has an answer to the problems I'm facing while I'm currently in this situation. Trade your anxieties for the trust of the Lord. I am somebody standing before you who, and I've been very open about this in the past, who has been diagnosed with clinical depression and clinical anxiety. I'll struggle with it for the rest of my life. It's cyclical. I go through highs. I go through lows. I'm doing really well right now, okay? Really well right now. Praise the Lord. So when I say this to you, I know that it's not just that easy of, of, oh, I'll just trust the Lord and I won't have any anxiety. But also at the same time, I'm saying that to you knowing that It's also kind of that easy. Okay, do the things. Go to counseling. Take the medication. Do the work. Talk through your issues. Do all those things. I support them. They are good. You can be a faithful Christian and also need help. Understand that. Understand that. But what happens when we are ruled by our anxieties is that we're just not willing to let them go because we somehow think we have control. I'm here because I did something wrong. And maybe you made decisions that led you into a situation that aren't good, but you know what? Maybe those decisions you made, God allowed you to make those so that you might be in a situation where you might learn and you might grow and you might become better. And that's what Paul is speaking about. Yes, you find yourself in less than desirable circumstances, but can you make yourself be content Can you look at what the Lord is doing and say, no matter what, I will be okay. No matter what, I will be okay. Because while my anxiety is wanting to make me try to figure out how I can fix this situation, I'm going to trust that the Lord already has a solution to my problem. And I'm going to turn it over to him. And I'm not going to focus on myself, but I'm going to focus on God and where God's leading me. And I'm going to look to see how I can serve other people in this time so that my circumstances don't overwhelm me. It takes humility to have that mindset. When we finally make it to a place where we can adhere to Paul's words especially the words we find in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, which say, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which means it's not gonna make sense to you, but somehow, some way, you're going to be better, will guard your heart's, and will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, it's one thing to say God is in control. God's got this. It's a completely different thing to live as if that is the truth. To live in that way, that's an accomplishment. We can express faith, but does our life, the way we live, express Faith. Paul has highs and he has lows. And guess what? You have had highs and you have had lows. And there are times where you will experience highs again only to later experience lows. 
It is part of being a part of a fallen creation. We live in a world that is... I don't want to say ruled by sin because that takes power away from God. Because we know that God is in control. But we certainly live in a world that is rampant with sin. A world where sin is is the first and easiest option. But we serve a God who is bigger than that sin. We serve a God who is in complete and total control. See, there are times when we have plenty, and there are certainly times where we need more. There's never a time where we are without the need of the grace of God. But no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, or no matter how, we have a Christ-provided strength at our disposal. Humility allows Christians to find equilibrium in the imbalance of life. And as we go through our journey of life, very rarely do we feel like we are on solid ground. Very rarely do we feel like we are on stable footing. But can we continue to take the next step in faith, knowing that it is God who lights our path and makes our feet solid upon the rock? I'm going to end with this. There's a final piece. Nothing, nothing pushes anxiety away and screams faith and humility like gratitude. Let's read verses 14 through 20 again. Paul, after already being thankful for what it was that was sent, expressing and explaining that even if he hadn't received it, he would have been okay because his faith and his trust is in God. And he's learned the secret to be content in all circumstances. Still says, it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I was set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, another city with another church, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. I have received full payment, and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied, not that I have received from, now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God, the Father, be the glory forever and ever, and amen. And again, I say nothing pushes anxiety away and screams faith more than gratitude. When you find yourself in the valley, can you look up on the mountainsides, the one that you just fell down and the one that you're about to go up and be thankful for everything it is that you do have. It becomes really easy to let everything we don't have, everything that hasn't gone our way, the things that we are struggling with, 
the things that have caused us trouble. It is really easy to let those things dominate our headspace. It's really easy to let those things be the lens through which we view the world and to change who we are and who we should be. Nothing cures that condition like expressing gratitude for the good things that are taking place in your life. There was a time where I was in counseling and I had a a Christian counselor who uh, literally saved my life. I'm comfortable saying it that way. Because before I went to him, I'll be really honest with you, I didn't think I wanted to live anymore. And as I went to him and I discussed some of these issues and I expressed my feelings and how I felt like I was unworthy and how it would be better for me not to be here and how there's no possible way that God could love me and I was just down in the dumps. I mean, as miserable as you can be. And all I could focus on, all I could focus on was that feeling of inadequacy and how I never felt like I was going to be enough and how just the world was against me. And I've got to tell you, living in the Western world with a full belly every single night, having shelter and clothing, and need after need after need provided for. It took me time. It took me a lot of time to realize that my approach to how I was feeling, partly caused by an imbalance, chemical imbalance in my brain, let's not do away with that, right? But the approach that I had to life was one that was slightly ungrateful, even if out of my control. Slightly ungrateful, and and just showed a complete lack of faith and misunderstanding for the God that I was serving. You see, before that time in my life, I didn't really know who God was. I thought I did. I had placed my faith in him. I had placed my trust in him. I I had committed my life to, to the ministry, to being in his service because he was calling me in that direction. And I thought I knew who he was, but my view of God was a lot more like a little kid with a magnifying glass, and I'm the ant, right? And the minute I step out of where I should be, he's just going to fry my butt. I mean, that was my view of God. I keep sinning. I keep screwing up. I'm not perfect. I I keep doing these things I don't want to do. Right? Over and over and over again, I fail. How could God possibly love me? How, how, could, how could God actually forgive me? I mean, I am a terrible human being. To be in my mind some days is not a good place. It's scary. It's gotten better over the years because I spent more and more time with God. How, 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 how with everything going wrong, could I possibly afford to live another second in this terrible, awful place? And then my counselor said, let's make a list. Let's make a list. I said, okay, let's make a list. And he had a whiteboard or a piece of paper. And a little, I think he was clipboard, right, with a notepad. And he draws a line down the middle and he says, good. And he wrote bad. And he said, okay, let's talk about the bad stuff. 
And I had like three things. I feel worthless. I feel like God hates me. And I don't even remember the other one. I just was miserable. He said, okay, let's talk about the good things. What's happening? Well, I, at that point, I, you know, I'm, I'm engaged to a wonderful woman and uh, God has given me great purpose in my life. And, uh, you know, I was getting ready to graduate college and I was getting ready to get married and there's all this excitement that is taking place in life. And, and, and we're just going through things like I got to eat breakfast today and, you know, even the bad stuff. He was like, you know, there's nothing too big, nothing too small. But as I started to come up with my list, I, I literally, my list for bad things, I think was three or four things long. And as we see up talking about the good and the good and the good and the good, by the time we got done, my list went to a different page. And I had allowed these three bad things to outweigh all the good in my life. Because I didn't have faith, I had anxiety. And I was looking at how I could fix every little thing. And I was missing out on everything that God was doing for me in my life. Nothing pushes anxiety and screams faith like gratitude. When we find ourselves imprisoned by our circumstance, when we find ourselves chained by our anxieties, the first step to freedom is identifying the blessings currently in your life. And the only way that you're going to be able to do that successfully is to root yourself in some humility. To say, I don't deserve really any of this, but look at all the good in my life. And to say that I'm going to let God control my narrative and not my circumstance. The only way to get there is to recognize that your God, your God is in control. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. And in this moment today, Lord, we just want to say thank you. God, let's express blessing today. Thank you for all it is that you have done in our lives as individuals and as a church. God, we thank you that we are getting to welcome another brother in Christ into the family today, that we are getting to do our second baptism in as many weeks. God, we thank you for the guest that you have brought into our building today, that we get to minister to and, and love on and hopefully God one day walk alongside life with. God, thank you for the people that continue to come back and call Crosspoint home time after time after time, believing in what you are doing through our congregation. God, we thank you that you are a God that we can trust, that you are in control, that you already have a solution to the circumstance that I'm dealing with. God, may we learn to just lean on you, to have faith in you, to give up the reins and say, wherever you lead me, I will go. Whatever you ask me to do, I will do. May we leave our anxieties behind as we proclaim faith in your powerful name. 
knowing that you have already made a way because you are in control and we are not. We thank you for everything that you have provided for us, knowing that none of it is our own. But you have loved us. You have blessed us. God, we thank you that even though we don't deserve it, you continue to do so. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. This morning, you have an opportunity to just worship God, to reflect on everything it is that he has done for you, to thank him, to lift up an offering of worship and praise that says, God, we appreciate you. You also have an opportunity to make some decisions this morning that could change your life forever. If you want to experience salvation, if, if, if you want to know Christ, what it means to have a relationship with Christ, to be able to find contentment, whether you have plenty or whether you need more, talk to me today. We start singing, we start worshiping, come, come in that time. Let's get that taken care of. You want to talk about membership? We can, we can talk about that right after service. Otherwise, stand, worship, make that decision for Christ. Give him what he is due.